Thank you for tuning in and welcome to another epic edition of the Jerry Jones Show. Hosted by Jerry Jones, along with his sidekick, Kevin Anderson. Each and every episode is guaranteed to increase your profits and decrease your stress in dentistry. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. Jerry Jones here with Jerry Jones Direct, and um, I have a special guest with me, uh, an orthodontist for a change, a nice change. No dentist. Um, well, I mean, kind of a dentist, but, you know, an orthodontist uh, that identifies, uh, I, maybe I should say this, a dentist that identifies as an orthodontist, <laughs> to be politically correct, who knows? Um, and uh, we're going to have a great time here for the next hour or so. Um, and anyway, I'm excited to bring to you uh, Dr. Dustin Burleson. And, um, you know, I had Dustin on the show, I don't know how long ago, it's been two, three years back. And uh, we, I, I love Dustin. He's fun. We, we have a good time. And um, we always uh, manage to make each other laugh a little bit. Um, so laugh along with us and take a pen and paper out because we do have some really great content that we're going to cover. And um, I'm just, I just sprung, uh, I'll be springing these questions uh, onto Dustin for the first time. We don't, um, we don't rehearse these typically. This is just a, you know, go right to the, uh, right to the gut and just move it. So Dustin, welcome, sir. And, um, Hey, wh what, I was up all night practicing my answers and now, now we're, I'm not, I'm not going to have a chance to know what you're going to ask. Ah, <laughs> you're no longer in school. <laughs> I was rehearsing. Yeah, I was exactly. rehearsing. Hey, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I haven't rehearsed for much. Um, uh, you know, you do so many things or you do enough things, the same way so many times it's like rehearsals you know for the birds so um I, you know i like shooting from the hip in, in these cases so yeah uh, but yeah i say i was i was born 15 minutes late i've been running behind ever since so i don't know that i'd show up on time for the rehearsal if there was one <laughs> <laughs> your mom's still mad <laughs> that she missed her still pissed. yeah <laughs> uh awesome. hey you're right on the intro i i uh you know i i wanted to be a real dentist and then my my fixed profs and endodontics professors saw what i could do with a handpiece and they said, you know, maybe you should bend wire. <laughs> so they, they pushed me over to the ortho department, and um, uh, and I, I I've never been back. So, so you're, you're yeah, the, you're, so you're the dentist with all the bloody fingers uh, from all the ortho wires because you still, I mean, it's going through your gloves. You're, I mean, are you poking yourself still, or are you kind of past that? You built up calluses. Years ago, yeah, we used to bend a ton of wire. Years ago, we had one uh, for anyone that does any ortho tweed. The Tweed philosophy, which Laverne Merrifield came out of that, uh, he was kind of, you know, if you look at the history of ortho, there was Edward Angle and then Charlie Tweed and then Laverne Merrifield. And Laverne was from uh, Kansas City and um, ran the department for years. And so we had a lot of Tweed professors where you bend everything. And sure. yeah, the like we had a 14-day course on that. And about day 10, you know, your fingers were all bruised <laughs> and bleeding. And uh, I thought, shit, maybe maybe I should have gone to law school. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, uh, but yeah, it was uh, uh, less wire bending nowadays. Uh, well, I got to tell you, I'm so, glad, I'm so glad you didn't go to law school because that's the last damn thing we need is another attorney. Um, another attorney. Yeah. I mean, I, I got like seven of them on speed dial and, you know, before I even go to the bathroom, I'm making sure that it's okay that I'm not going to upset anybody. I mean, just, well, you know the difference between a dead snake in the middle of the road and a dead attorney in the middle of the road. There's probably no difference, is there? There's skid marks before the snake. 
<laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know, I can see yeah. Ben Glass telling that joke. I absolutely can see Ben Glass telling that joke. Sorry, Ben. Yeah, I like there oh. are good attorneys. Uh, we've there got are. some good ones, but uh, I, they, I have, you know. uh, yeah, I'm with you. I have one really amazing guy that, uh, yeah, he, but he, I think he just pretends to be an attorney. Like, um, I mean, because he doesn't act like the rest of them. So I, I kind of think maybe he's just acting. And um, but he does a good job. <laughs> I really like. Well, him. so there's the first pearl of the of the recording, right? The first pearl is if you want if you want to stand out, don't act like the rest of them. You know. You know what? That that is a writer downer, literally. I mean, if you want to, you know, if you want to be different and unique, you're gonna you're gonna rise to the top. But if you want to be like everybody else and stay in your lane, good luck. I mean, you're gonna get what everybody else is getting. So. Yeah. That's the. I mean, that's really an issue I see with dentists is they think, what will my peers think if I am on the radio? What will my peers think if I'm in the mailbox in direct mail? God forbid I get on the television. Well, and, you know, this has been right? a great hour. <laughs> I think we got. <laughs> We're done. That's it. Oh, I love oh. it. Yeah. Um, you know, some of these interviews I do, Dustin, you know, they're kind of, they're a little more rigid. My guests are a little more rigid. You know, they're, they're really like, some of them are really nervous. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the hour always goes by so much faster when I'm laughing and having a good time. So let's get to work and make everybody miserable. Okay. Let's uh, do it. All right. So let's talk a little. So, so you're in Kansas City area. Am I correct? Yes, that's correct. Now, um, tell us a little bit about what your enterprise looks like these days and what, what the heck you're up to. Yeah, we've kind of been everywhere. So we started our practice in 2006 uh, from a scratch startup, no patients. Our first month, we started one new patient. And I thought, crap, we've made a, we've made a big mistake uh, in our location and the market. And then the second month, we started zero new patients. And I thought, you know, oh. this is going to be a lot harder than I, than I imagined. Uh, it reminds me of a story of a, a gentleman I know who runs one of the best restaurants in Kansas City. He said he sold a software company and then his retirement had a bunch of money and his wife, like a lot of retirement, you know, goes. The wife gets sick of seeing the guy laying around the house, you know, golfing and doing nothing. And she says, you know, you, you got to get you got to get some sort of, you know, part time hobby where you're not laying around the house all the time driving me crazy. Right. And so he started a restaurant and he bought all the books about running a restaurant and, you know, joined all the associations about running his restaurant. And. He said, you know, when I was starting the business, he said, there's, there's no way it's this hard, you know, reading all these books and magazines and journals and, and talking to people at association meetings. But he said, there's no way it's this hard. And then, he, you know, he's telling me this story now, 20 years after the fact, and he's got two of the most successful Argentinian steakhouses in Kansas City. And he said, you know, looking back on it, I was wrong. It was way harder. <laughs> it was much more difficult. And uh, that's really, that really summarizes my story. And so we, we clawed and scraped and, I mean, did everything we thought was the right thing to do because we looked around at what everyone else was doing. Mm -hmm. And our hours and our service and our products and our prices and our customer service was all pretty much like every other orthodontist. And that was, you know, open Monday through Thursday, 8.30 to 4.30 type of hours, closed at lunch, really didn't have a handle on what consumers wanted. And uh, we clawed and scraped and clawed and scraped. And probably 2008, 2009, we got to a point where we thought we were pretty successful. And then, you know, the financial collapse happened. Parents stopped putting braces on the company credit card, you know, which was called a home equity line of credit. And uh, we got really slapped in the face with um, extreme downturn. At that point, we said, you know, we were either going to, we had so much debt in real estate and so much debt in building this thing. In an extremely competitive market, I mean, I, there's a dental school here and everyone that comes from a small town 
in Kansas or Missouri, they come and stay. So there's, I think there's 72 orthos in Kansas City. And literally 10 of us could drop dead and no one would know. I mean, it's just really <laughs> saturated. So uh, we stumbled across a really smart guy uh, named Dan Kennedy who um, helped us really, you know, stake a claim and, you know, let's maybe go around the traditional methods of getting patients like insurance and uh, at that time relying on referring dentists because their markets were down too. And yeah. so we started going straight to the consumer and everything changed with it. So now we have, um, we've scaled back one, we consolidated two. So we have four locations, a uh, handful of docs, and we, um, we went from no patients to at last count. In the last 12 months, we've had over 12,000 patients through our doors for some sort of an appointment, either in pediatric dentistry or orthodontics. So uh, we have an extremely large practice now. And, um, and it's been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun. That's, that's amazing to go from zero uh, in 10, you know, essentially 12 years, um, 10, 12 years to 12,000 yeah. visits in, in the last 12. That's pretty damn impressive. Um, I don't care who you are. That's really, really impressive. So, I mean, you spent a lot of time then. I mean, in, in that Dan Kennedy, I think I've heard of him. Um, I, I think, <laughs> I think I've heard of him. Um, yeah. It rings a bell. <laughs> it rings a bell. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the, his name is seems to be everywhere in, in, in dentistry. You know, a lot of, he's been around a long time, and obviously he's done a lot of speaking gigs for a number of uh, people in the field. And yeah, I mean, Dan is uh, he's an incredible guy. I I absolutely give that guy credit for, um, you know, for giving me a foundational uh, head start and in, in so many things, so many areas uh, in marketing. But uh, yeah, good guy. Um, and, um, yeah, it, you know, it's, uh, it's good to see him kind of back in a saddle of sorts again too. So, um, uh, we'll see what, uh, what this next year brings for that guy. Um, so let's talk about marketing. I mean, you said direct to patients. So you've kind of, you, the traditional model, obviously, as we all know, is, you know, uh, G GPs refer to ortho, uh, orthodontists, any, any cases they are uncomfortable with, or they don't want to do, or maybe they just don't do ortho. And so they're, and so they're referring out every, every ortho uh, case. So you're going direct to consumer now. So what does that mean um, in terms of, I mean, what does that look like? Can you kind of take us through um, maybe a high level view of what your, your marketing to direct consumers looks like now? Yeah, I mean, the good news is we, you know, we, we looked at the data and there's over 15 million kids in the United States with untreated tooth decay. So we know, obviously, there's a lot of people not making it to the dentist. And so if you're an orthodontist listening to this, just know that there are tens of thousands of people in your neighborhood, uh, probably within 10 miles of your office, who are not seeing the dentist at all. Uh, and if they are, maybe every year or two and they have a problem. So um, no disrespect meant to the dentist because we love general dental referrals and we take really good care of our patients and our referral base. We do a lot of activity with them, we do a lot of continuing education with them and we nurture and love those relationships. But there are a ton of people who, for whatever reason, they don't have insurance that covers it. Uh, the dental IQ is lower, you know, this is Missouri, this isn't exactly Manhattan and New York City. We have um, a lot of patients who just aren't seeing the dentist. So when we made the decision we're gonna go straight to consumer, then it was, let's, let's figure out the, the marketing math for every media that we can get our hands on and let's see if we can get them to work. So we are omnipresent. We are in Valpac, we are in direct mail, uh, probably 40 to 60,000 pieces a month. Uh, at this recording, we've direct mailed over 5 million pieces and we got a lot of data on it. And I, would, and I don't do it for my health. <laughs> I do it because it produces an ROI. So yep. um, broad marketing mix, we are in direct response radio, we're on Spotify and Pandora. We're on, uh, we have direct response TV on cable. We are in direct mail and print, meaning mommy magazines, 
uh, and some newspaper inserts in specific markets where they work. Valpac, and we are heavy online with uh -huh. Google, Facebook, Instagram, and rapidly testing Snapchat. So uh, we're pretty much everywhere we can be. Yeah. And the reason is, you know, um, the the math in our industry works so well, uh, whether it's general dentistry or a specialist, and the lifetime customer value versus acquisition cost. You can't afford not to be in those media if you want to grow something significant. And, you know, that's what we want to do. And so we're, we're everywhere. You know, you, you, you mentioned three things that stuck out to me that I think they deserve probably some drill down. So um, you said the word omnipresent, and that's a, that is a term that uh, that very few dentists um, maybe, I, I don't know if they really understand it, but you by demonstration explained what it was. Essentially, it means you're everywhere all the time. Anywhere where there are mommy eyeballs or perhaps even some dad eyeballs, but definitely moms. Um, I mean, so your target market, while you're delivering service to kids, your target market is a mother. Am I correct? This is correct. Yep. Okay. So have you defined then, like, um, at what age do you start, uh, or, or, or how, are you how are you identifying your moms? Are you, like, uh, are you looking at what, the, what is the age of the child? What is the age of the mother? What, what data are you drilling down into? Great question. I'll give you our answer and I'll speak principally first and go way back to a big principle. Yeah. Um, historically, I love, you know, marketing history and, you know, omnipresence uh, is really summarized nicely by P.T. Barnum, right? He said like knowledge is like marketing a little bit is a bad thing, right? So if you're going to market, yeah. don't do a little bit, you know, do a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we start there. And if now we work ourselves back from what what's the objective of the practice? You know, no one really thinks about, uh, you know, how much profit do you need out of the practice to achieve your objective and what's what's going to be the required action to hit it. Mm -hmm. And so I'll tell you ours, but then I'm going to I'm going to walk back after I tell you ours so that other people listening understand that there is no rubber stamp. Right. What works in Kansas City might or might not work in Dallas, Texas and Miami, Florida uh, in Seattle. And so. Mm -hmm. Ours is this, we want moms age 22 to 44 who have kids in the house age seven to 16, and I want equity in the home. Mm -hmm. So that's that works really, really well for my market. And in Kansas City, a household income of 80 to 90,000 and up works really, really well for our target. Now here's why I need those demographics and why I'm gonna walk back for someone else, that you might not wanna just rubber stamp those for your area. Sure. Uh, in Kansas City and the type of practice we operate, we have, created an avatar client who is a very busy mom who has several kids in the house and has a lot of school activities and doesn't want to miss work or school. So because we are the one orthodontist in Kansas City where we will guarantee you never have to miss work or school, we have to be open 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Mm -hmm. and we have to have multiple shifts of employees and we have mm -hmm. to have large facilities that can handle volume and we have to have multiple doctors. So you can imagine our overhead is different than someone who's running a three chair clinic, uh, you know, three or four days a week. So right. because we've set that objective and we've identified our target, we know what we must spend to, to get them to come say yes. Now in your market somewhere else, you might not need that. You might be uh, doing a lot of Medicaid. You might be doing a lot of discount insurance. So it really depends, but th that's the target that works well for us. But for example, like in New York city, you know, you couldn't do that. You'd have to target people that live in apartments. Yeah. Where in Kansas City, we exclude people from our list selects to live in apartments because mm -hmm. those demographics don't work well for our price point uh, yeah. and the margins at which we operate. Yeah, yeah, good. 
very good, um, very good presentation on how how you got to where you where you did, and um, great explanation on you know on on why this why this segment of the market. Um, so equity, uh, I want to back up to one thing you mentioned: equity in the home. Is that because you know if they have equity in the home, they're very likely going to be approved for uh, insert finance company or their ability yeah, to exactly. you know write a check? Okay, gotcha. So it's a credit yeah. score approximation opportunity. Yeah, yeah okay, listen, 78% of Americans can't cover an emergency expense more than $400. Those are not good target demographics for my practice. They're great target demographics for other of our clients. So we coach and consult with orthodontists all over the world. And some offer a very low or no down payment. They offer mm -hmm. a very bare bones treatment. And so I would change the list selects and I would totally eliminate that on the data buy. Uh, where in our in our world we want that because yeah we want parents who are capable of mm -hmm. putting a down payment and yep. willing to spend a little more to have the convenience of never missing work or school coming on yeah. a Saturday for example yeah absolutely yeah yeah well um, we won't get into the staffing challenges because I, I imagine there are some challenges with your expanded hours Saturday operation um, and I, I mean I, I totally get that and anybody that is thinking that you know running extended hours on Saturdays <clears throat> is a cakewalk um, we'll soon find out it's not but it, it certainly is <laughs> possible and it's and it's doable I, am I close on not being a cakewalk yeah I think you just, <laughs> and you can just substitute substitute the word staffing for challenge and pretty much the same thing <laughs> uh, yeah absolutely wow. Yeah. Okay. So, um, lifetime value of a patient and patient acquisition costs. You mentioned those two things. I'm, I've been really, um, to say, uh, beating my, my clients and members up over these two things would be an understatement. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about patient acquisition costs. Um, in, in your area, are, are, well, let me ask you this question. Is it, is it fairly consistent from community to community? Uh, patient acquisition cost, or are you finding wildly different numbers that range from, you know, $250 to $750 or more? What are you seeing in the marketplace? All over the place. So we've got clients in Alabama acquiring new patients for $36, and we've got clients in New York City and San Francisco acquiring them for $600. So that's where you got to make sure the math makes sense. Um, but listen, everyone's got to pay attention to the lifetime customer value, and no mm -hmm. one uh, will admit it's as low as it is. They think, specifically in orthodontics, like, well, I charge 5,000 bucks for braces, so my average should be 5,000. But they don't understand that not everyone who raises their hand gets through on the telephone. Not everyone who gets through on the telephone shows up in the office. Not everyone who shows up in the office becomes a patient. Not everyone becomes a patient actually refers someone else or brings a second family member to the practice. So acquisition costs for us, we're real comfortable in our market, you know, at 185 to $250 a lead. Uh, although I'll tell you, we are bending the laws of physics on radio right now. As you know, every big dumb company is pulling out of television and radio and going online, yep. which makes it imperative that you get really serious about what you're doing online, but also presents a trem tremendous opportunity for people to enter online. I'll give you some inside baseball. It'd probably be enough to compete with me in Kansas City, uh, which it's fine. You know, I've always believed that if I share stuff, it opens up my brain to, you know, learn some new things and, and, and move on. But so five years ago, we were acquiring leads on, on terrestrial radio at five to $600 a lead. Today, it's been consistently for over two years at 58 to $60 a lead uh, because the ad buys are so much more aggressive and channels we couldn't get on years ago are now available. So um, yeah, I mean, if you're not looking at lead costs, 
pay attention to smart companies. And if you're not looking at lifetime customer value, pay attention to smart companies. Yeah. You probably saw, everyone saw Apple recently at the time of this recording, uh, became the first trillion dollar company, right? Mm-hmm. Market cap, unbelievable, mm-hmm. right? If you look at year over year iPhone sales, the thing that's driving that company uh, in services now, they only sold 1% more iPhones than they sold same quarter last year. That's pretty weak growth, right? Mm-hmm. So imagine 1% new patient growth. You and I would not get excited about that. No. Here's what Apple's really smart about. Guess what iPhone revenue was up quarter over year, year over year. <laughs> See, now that was probably spectacular. 20%. Yeah. So they've got 1% more customers buying iPhones, but mm-hmm. iPhone revenue is up 20%. Now, how the hell is that possible? Well, you and I know they've convinced consumers that iPhones are worth 20% more. They've mm-hmm. added new bells and whistles to them. So our question to our clients is, you know, what are you doing to drive 20% more revenue out of every 1% increase in new patients? And for us, that was adding pediatric dentistry, that's adding lifetime customer satisfaction, that's being open on Saturdays so parents are willing to invest more for the convenience of not having to miss work or school. Uh, those are the smart questions. And, and unfortunately, most dentists can't answer the lifetime customer value question. But I tell you, you can to get a little, not to, and I hope everyone's sitting down, I tell you, knows those numbers really well. Aspen Dental knows those numbers really well. Comfort Dental knows those numbers really well. Pacific Dental knows those numbers very well. And if you don't, in 10 years, uh, there's going to be one of those competitors breathing down your neck and reminding all of us that we should know those numbers. Um, I'll, uh, uh, I will beg to differ with you on that. 10 years is far too long. <laughs> it's going to be more point. like five, uh, literally yeah. five years. I mean, Good point. Look, I mean, that segment of the dental market, and, and if you're, you know, if anybody listening to this isn't, you know, the least bit nervous, um, you better get nervous and you better start asking the right questions. I mean, um, you know, the, the questions you ask of yourself, of your practice, of your team, determine where you go. If you're not asking questions, how can we do this? How can we do that? Why are these things happening? Why aren't these things happening? I mean, you got to be asking smart questions and you got to be analytical in your approach to how you run your practice uh, when it comes to these questions. It's, you know, clinical dentistry is clinical dentistry and, and look around because Aspen and, and all these other big companies are proving it. I mean, you know, the, the clinical is the tech side and the business side wins the game. Um, so there's a, re- well, there's a big, big reason why I no longer own a dental office. And one of them is what I just said. I, you know, I mean, I don't want to invest the kind of horsepower required to compete against these guys and they're coming and it's going to, you know, it's just going to continue to deteriorate. When you talk about patient acquisition costs and lifetime value of a patient, um, uh, I guarantee you, uh, Dustin, we could interview 99 dentists right now and maybe I'm sorry, a hundred dentists and maybe one uh, would know either of those numbers. Most have no idea how to calculate them, where to start, what to do with it, what it means. And, um, and that's something that, you know, we're working uh, on changing here at Jerry Jones Direct. We just introduced this really cool piece of software called Profit Insight. And interestingly enough, these are two calculations that Profit Insight um, actually uh, brings about. And they're incredibly accurate based on overhead percentages and, and a whole bunch of other factors that go into this. But yeah, I mean, you got to know these things. And if you don't, um, boy, good luck. Good luck. Well, I mean, um, I was one of those, so I don't want anyone listening to this think that, you know, I came out of the womb, like, you know, with a calculator and, 
in an MBA, you know, intent on measuring every number in the practice. I, I, I wish I didn't have to do any of it, but I, I just dislike the results I get when I ignore them. And so, you know, I don't want everyone to think that, God, this guy's just really about, you know, the numbers and he's like, shouldn't he just be counting beans somewhere? I mean, I, the best part of my day is sitting with a patient and watching them, you know, blossom and transform when we take their braces. I mean, that that's why I got into the business. That's why I got into the profession. Unfortunately, it's just too damn competitive to only pay attention to that. And I, we get so hyper-focused on our little world, this little cottage industry that's being disrupted called dentistry and orthodontics. And we forget that, you know, there's ample evidence, case study after case study, of what's happening in advanced economies. So, you know, if you go back to the airline industry, hundreds of airlines, literally, in this country, now there's like 10. There were hundreds of car manufacturers. Now there's like three or four in the U.S., right? There were hundreds of thousands of small solo practitioner physicians. Now there are almost none, and they're all in groups or hospitals. So if you don't think that's going to happen to dentistry, we're just not paying attention to the broader um, landscape of consolidation in this country. And, um, you know, now's the time to take it seriously. Yeah, I would, I would totally agree. And yeah, the, um, you know, it's, it's one of those deals, you can ignore it, um, but it's at your own peril. It, it, it's an expensive thing to ignore. And, um, and if you value that time sitting with patients and you want to have the freedom to sit with as many or as few uh, and, and have the freedom that, that solo practice or a small group practice provides, um, yeah, I mean, you, you got to pay attention to it. I mean, it's, you know, it's part of these days. It's just, you know, it's as important as the clinical side, because if you don't have the business side in this business, um, the clinical side suffers and that's unfortunate. I mean, it's, you know, uh, but that's the, that's the change. That's the, the transition that's, that's going on. So yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Um, so, um, in your own practice, um, what are you finding are the biggest challenges right now? One is human capital. It's our largest expense in almost every one of our clients, unless they're in rapid growth mode and they are, you know, acquiring practices or real estate or putting massive marketing campaigns in play uh, as a startup. Pretty much everyone listening to this, you know, you're probably dumping 18 to 22% of your collections into human capital and payroll. And so, you know, that's an area to pay attention to because the average across the board is $185,000 to $255,000 in revenue per employee. Well, you know, Google does $1.2 million in revenue per employee. Apple does over $2 million in revenue per employee. So why the hell should we be satisfied with $155,000? All right, so our real push uh, with clients when they come to us and ask for consulting is number one, how do we, how do we make a system that's worth, worth marketing? Before we do any marketing, let's clean up all the internal things, which starts with the human capital. Are we answering the phones right? Are we asking for referrals? Do we know those statistics? Are we crawling through broken glass for our customers? Do we have a story worth sharing, right? No one goes home and tells their friends about the mediocre experience they had at the restaurant. It better be amazing if you're gonna get word of mouth referrals. So our, our goal is to drive clients that hire us in our own practices to above $400,000 in revenue per employee because it gives you so much margin mm -hmm. to invest in the things that no one else will invest in, like world-class facilities, like additional human capital so that you have a, what we call a PRN pool 
of people who work part-time who can fill in for late hours or on the weekends. Mm -hmm. And so that's by far the, the biggest challenge is making sure that what you say should be happening. In other words, the promises you make to the, to the consumer market, making sure those promises are fulfilled. And they all get fulfilled through human capital. Associate mm -hmm. doctors, front desk, clinical assistants, site coordinators and regional managers, what a lot of people would call office managers. Mm -hmm. Are those people performing? And are we objectively measuring their performance? That's, that's, what, that's what's missing in 99% of dental offices. Once a dentist gets to five or seven employees, things break down because that's about as many as one person can handle, right? And so when you get to 20 employees, you need an assistant manager. When you get to 50, you need a handful of those assistant managers. And if what you say to the market isn't happening, then please stop marketing. Turn off all your advertisements. You know, uh, Southwest, the minute that poor lady got sucked out of the air, airline window that horrific day when the engine blew up, they wisely pulled all their online ads, right? You don't need to be marketing the company right now. We've got a major crisis. So if you're not answering your phones, if people are saying things like, you know, oh, Sally will be right with you. You know, in other words, you're not prepared for the patient when they show up. Right. Uh, if, if you're having delays and in getting insurance claims filed and you're having issues with uh, appliances and, you know, partial dentures and implants that are having technical difficulties with your laboratory and things are going back, all those things just piss the consumer off and it eliminates the possibility of referrals. So we always start with the people. That's the mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, I, I, I think, uh, um, you know, without, you know, every business, whether it's Apple or Google or, you know, a, a dental practice that's, you know, doing a million or two million a year or 500,000 a year, whatever the number is, without great people, you've got nothing. You just, you, you know, you've got an idea, you've got a concept, you've got some skills, but, you know, unless you have the people that push your vision forward that, that are aligned with you, it's, it's a, it's not a, a good, it's, it, it's rare that you're going to, you know, have an income that's going to be able to sustain you uh, now and, and well into retirement, you know, with savings and so on. So it's, uh, to me, you know, you nailed it, you nailed it, uh, human capital is where it's at. Um, you, you mentioned that uh, this uh, part-time employee fill-in thing and, you know, um, I want to, I want to, I want to know a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you if you assume you're going to like you said earlier like God, I'm sure I'm sure for someone listening who wants to expand hours and add weekends and things are it's going to be a cakewalk. It's not. Here's why. I mean, your current team is used to working a certain number of hours. And you go to them and say you're going to expand hours. I mean, they're not superhuman. They're not robots. They have families to care for. They have pets to feed, they have hobbies, and they have lives outside of your business. You know, they're not like you and I. They don't stay up late at night worrying about you know, growth and worrying about uh, your eventual exit strategy and the legacy you leave for your family. They have lives. And so if you think you're going to open, you know, dramatic uh, changes in your hours with the current team you have, you're fooling yourself. You'll stress them out. They'll quit. Ask yeah. me how I know. <laughs> so you, <Yep. laughs> you need some people who are willing to work 20 and 30 hours here and there. And so we've observed this from every other smart industry. So if you go to a restaurant today, you might see 20 people running around that restaurant. And if you see 20 running around, there are 80 more behind the scenes who aren't there today. They're there tomorrow for half a shift. Then they're there on Saturday for a full shift and they're back on Sunday for brunch and they won't be back until the following Thursday. So this PRN pool, we learned from both hospitals and we learned it from the service industry. And if you want to provide great service, 
which is what we're in the business of doing. Uh, the two big tips I can give you, number one, stop hiring people with experience and hire people who have great attitudes. I can teach someone how to do teeth. I cannot teach someone how to have a great attitude. So we stopped years ago hiring anyone with experience uh, unless they were moving into our market and had a strong recommendation or coming back into the market after perhaps a pregnancy or a life change. And so think about the people who are applying right now for your dental ad that says dental assistant experience required. Think about how many talented people right now work at a bank. They are working at a daycare center. They are in sales or they're in the service industry and they hate the hours, who would be a great fit for your practice, but will never apply because your ad says dental experience required. And that's by far changed our business above everything. Currently, we don't have a single employee in probably the last decade who was hired in this business who had dental experience. They have great attitudes, they can solve problems, they know how to sell, and then we teach them the dental stuff. So we'll get them through their basic skills if they're in the clinic. We'll get them expanded functions. And we invest a lot of money in these people because, as I told you earlier, we're expecting $435,000 to $450,000 in revenue per employee. So step one, stop hiring people with experience. Step two then, right? once you've got the right people, right, make sure they're in the right job and incentivized appropriately. There's a great case study uh, that I read. It was in a speech by Charlie Munger, who I know you know, and is mm -hmm. Warren Buffett's mm -hmm. business partner. And uh, Charlie tells the story of FedEx. FedEx, at its inception, was a great concept. We'll get it there overnight. If it's important, we'll get it there overnight, right? Absolutely guaranteed. And the problem was they were having a nightmarish time fulfilling on that promise. So all these planes were showing up, I believe, in Nashville or somewhere in Tennessee. They all show up. And all these planes have to get like, you know, sorted and organized and back on other planes. And by a certain hour, this thing doesn't work. And what they found was no matter how they, no matter how they could possibly think of incentivizing the people who were working in the warehouse, you know, we'll give you more money if it's done right, if it's done on time, we'll give you X, we'll give you more benefits. They, it was a cluster. They just couldn't get it done because they were giving these people, like, for example, six hours to get all these envelopes and all these packages from that plane to this box or that plane to this box. And at the end of the shift, everyone was exhausted and they were barely pulling it off because everyone had assumed it takes six hours to get this job done. Well, when they finally got the incentive right, they said, hey, if you get it done right, we don't care if it takes you two hours or if it takes you eight hours, no matter when you get it done and it's done right, you can go home, we'll still pay you the same amount as if you were here for six hours. Instantly, they fix the business. And so Charlie says, perhaps the most important thing in all of this is getting the incentives right. So what are you doing in your practice to make sure the human capital is properly incentivized? It's not always money, by the way. Often it's letting them learn new skills. It's giving them some freedom in how they get their jobs done. Maybe, you're, maybe your financial coordinator wants to work from home on Friday afternoons so she can pick her kids up from school and spend the afternoon at the pool. And then Friday night, she does all of the outbound uh, phone calls and reminders and letters and emails. I don't know what she does. But if she doesn't have to be in the office and she wants a little autonomy and freedom in how she gets her job done, let her have it, right? Because then she's happy and she's incentivized and the results go up. So, you know, if you get the right people 
in the right job and incentivize them right. You're, you literally, it's like putting kerosene on a fire. Uh, we've, we've seen that happen so many times in our business. It's been amazing. Yeah. That's great. That's great advice. Um, right people, right places. And you know, the incentives. Um, yeah, because you're right. It's not, most of the time, it's not about money. And um, I mean, rarely is it about money. And then when it is about money, you got to sit there and ask yourself, why? <laughs> you know, why is this person responding only to money? What, what is the, you know, what is the, what's the real driver? What's the money buying? What's the money doing for them? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah, you, you can go down a, a rabbit hole on that, but it's certainly, um, it, it's a great concept to, to be cognizant of and, and yeah, cause you can really change the, the behavior of someone just based on that incentive. It's really cool. Um, well, it's, it's just bad management. If you look at the research, right? So scientific management from, you know, putting coal into an oven or building steel. Yeah, fine. It's a real simple task. Right, go back to the turn of the century, turn of the last century. Hey guys, you know Carnegie did this shit. You know, hey, we made 150 linear feet of steel on this shift, and he'd write it in chalk on the floor. So the next shift coming in, all right, guys, the last crew did 150. When you do 160, you know, there's an extra dollar in it for you. That's fine with real simplistic business models like take a hammer and beat it against a wall, mm -hmm. right? But today's dental practices are far too complex for that to work. And the research is conclusive. So if you look at Barry Schwartz's research on like 30,000 different employees, when they felt the most fulfilled, it was when they had the opportunity to learn new things. They felt like there was a higher sense of purpose in their work and they had some autonomy in getting their work done. If they're paid enough, like now you can't be cheap and be the, you know, the low ball, you know, we pay people $8 an hour and that's, you know, you can't do that. They've yeah. got to have a certain level of comfort in their job and in their salary. But beyond that, you're right. Throwing more money at something in a complex business environment, right, only creates confusion in what the hell it is we're doing here. Uh, it usually gets gamed. The system usually gets gamed. Mm -hmm. So the, the incentive becomes an entitlement. And the month that they don't get it, people light themselves on fire, ask me how I know, right? So yeah, you're absolutely right. You cannot assume that's going to fix anything in practice. Yeah. Um, here, I've got two questions that are sort of in a row. They're related. Um, and it's a, it, it, it's based on a challenge I see time and again, and I know you deal with this in your consulting practice. Um, and it has really nothing to do with clinical skills. And, and in fact, it doesn't have anything to do with marketing. It doesn't even have anything to do with running the business, but it's probably the single most, um, obnoxious, annoying pain in the ass roadblock. We've all experienced that one time or another. And many of us, frankly, experience it regularly. Um, and, it, and it has to do with getting our, in, in our own way. Um, so I was wondering if you could maybe talk about some symptoms that our listeners could recognize as, you know, hey, God, that's me. I am that guy. I am, get, or gal, I am getting in my own way. So do you have um, uh, maybe some symptoms to share that, that folks could maybe do a, a quick self-assessment and, and help them determine, man, I, I'm that person I'm getting in my way. And then I've got a follow-up question to that. Yeah. I mean, so even if you're growth minded and you're looking at, you know, talk about the business beyond, you know, personal growth, things like spiritual growth or physical fitness or, you know, the depth and meaning of your relationships with others, but just purely business growth. So no one gets deeply offended. You know, if you're seeing incremental growth in your practice, you're probably the bottleneck. Right? There's so many things your employees will do if you'll just get out of their damn way. Right? So twice a year, you or your what you would probably call an office manager, what we call site coordinators, 
need to sit down with your people one-on-one. I like breakfast. Breakfast is quick. It's cheap. No one lingers over dessert when you're trying to get the hell out of there. Uh, They got to get back to work. So I like breakfast. And you sit down for breakfast and you say, you know, hey, you know, what do you love about your job? And let them talk. And and now I need you to be honest with me. What do you hate? Right. And, And then what would you do if I would get out of your way? What are some things you love that we're not letting you do? And the problem with dentists in particular and healthcare providers generally is that if we weren't perfectionists going into dental school, dental school made us perfectionists. And that's good for the clinic, but it's awful in the administrative side of your business. So for example, in dental school, we were all taught, if you cut 0.2 millimeters into the dentin for doing a restoration on a tooth, that's a passing grade. Any more, it fails. Any less, it's not enough, that fails too. Well, it's interesting that 0.2 millimeters is the wavelength of visible light. (laughs) So anything (laughs) more, right, you fail. Anything less is not visible by the naked eye. And so we are perfectionists. The problem with being perfectionists is we have an extreme reluctance to delegate. And when we delegate, we typically jump back in the minute we see someone failing. And I'll talk about why those things break down. But if you think about you know, some, some bullshit we've all been fed as kids, you could probably finish the sentence. If you want it done right, you've got to yeah, do it yourself. You know, do, it, do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the worst advice your parents ever taught you is that if you want it done right, you've got to do it yourself. Because what I see dentists doing is running from insignificant task to insignificant task in between patients or after hours, trying to move the needle a millimeter in a million directions. And what they should do is focus on the thing they do best. If you love being in the clinic, working with patients, that's your thing. Let everyone else do everything for you. Do not get overwhelmed with, oh, we've got to have a new website. Oh, we've got to have Facebook marketing. Oh, I've got to get them to a new clinical course, right? There are people who do all that for you. So the biggest symptom of a bottleneck in the business is incremental growth. You're in your own way. You're not letting people carry the message to Garcia. You're not letting people carry the ball forward. And uh, I can talk about how to get out of your own way, but that's the biggest. So if you're seeing like 3%, 7%, 10% growth, listen, at the time of this recording, we've got a robust economy. We finally got a little wage growth. I mean, we got 4% GDP growth. You got consumer credits back on fire. People, you know, people are spending, if your business isn't growing 20 or 30% right now, I hate to tell you, but you're probably the bottleneck because we won't let people do things for us because we've been taught bad lessons. Like we got to do it ourselves. Mm, boy, that's great advice. Um, really great advice. And I like, I like, there's a, I like that you attached a measurement with that as well. Um, you know, so doctors can, can, they, you know, they can take an honest assessment. Cause I got to tell you, man, the second you get out of your way and I'm, I'm a pro at getting in my own way. I mean, I've been doing this for 22 damn years and I can tell you probably, uh, 21 and a half of those at some point in another, I've been in my way, you know, and, 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 and once you recognize it, once there, that awareness comes about, um, you can really experience some tremendous growth. So what you, you kind of led into this. So I'm going to ask the question. How would you coach a doc, maybe at the inf- you know the the beginning stages, the infancy stages of getting them out of their own way? What's like the first one or two major steps? To 
take. Yeah, there's, so there's three, in my opinion, and um, we see it over and over and over again. So, you know, a lot of people hear me like, God, this guy's really kind of gruff. He's kind of, he's a little, you know, I mean, a lot of things we talk about, you and I, you know, aren't really well received uh, within the dental community because it's not clinical and it's business and that. So it's seen as aggressive or it's seen as controversial or provocative. But here's, so I'm just kind of over explaining myself. I'll tell you, the data we have proves that what I'm about to tell you works. All right, so if a doctor will take our advice, within 18 to 24 months, we will double or triple their practice. Routinely, we take doctors from 1.8 to 3.6 in about two years if they'll do what we say. And here's the three things that get in the way. Number one is that they are not communicating effectively, right? So things are falling apart. Things are bottlenecked because the senior practice owner or the doctor, if it's a solo practice, is poor at communicating what the hell it is we're trying to achieve here. They just say nebulous things like, oh, we want to do a great job for the patient. We want to grow and make sure everyone's happy, whatever the hell that means. Right? Your definition of happiness and mine are probably very different. So there's no communication on what the hell it is we're doing here. So first we got to say, you know, how big is the opportunity? What are we doing here? Oh, okay, we're going to 3.6. Perfect. We put a number out into the universe. Now let's look at some historical data, right? Because the first breakdown or the first mistake is not communicating what it is you're going to go achieve. The second is then if there's no oversight of it. So if someone says we want to grow the business and we want to double or whatever, right? Great. Now who's responsible for that, right? What are the steps we're going to take to get there? Do we have to expand locations, expand hours, take new insurance programs? Do we have to do more marketing? Do I have to hire three more hygienists? What does that look like based on historical data? And no one's overseeing it. So at the end of the quarter, no one's sitting down going, how do we do? At the end of the month, no one's saying, how do we do? This is the biggest way to get under my skin is for a client to call and say, we had a bad month. Right, you're too late. <laughs> you, yeah. you should have had a bad. You have a have a bad half day and then fix it. Right, mm-hmm. literally get a, get a daily report twice a day. Where are we? Yep. Are we ahead of pace, behind pace, on pace? What do we say we're going to do this month? Divide it by week. Divide it by day. Divide it by half day. Have a bad half day, and then get your financial coordinator and get your hygienist on the phone calling people in who are overdue for the next cleaning. It's not rocket science. Right. Right, but there's no oversight. So doctors don't say what they want. They won't put a goal out there. They just say, I want to grow a little bit more. I want to do a little bit better. But they can't define and articulate what that is. Number two, there's no oversight of it. So no one's responsible for, hey, Sally, you said of this list of 322 patients who, have, who are overdue for their next hygiene exam, you said you were going to call them, send an email, send a text message, and send a little handwritten note to get them back in. Did you do that? Yes. Okay. What were the results? So it has to be oversight. The mm-hmm. third breakdown is there's no recalibration. So you've said what you want to do. You're doing some level of oversight, but three years into it, two years into it, what you're doing is out of date. You know, there's no recalibration of, oh, you know, maybe, maybe we need to upgrade some of these systems. And if we can get doctors focused on setting the objective, saying where it is we're headed, right? Knowing the actions to take reverse engineering it, and then overseeing those. And making sure they're constantly asking and our recalibration, how can we do this better for the patient? How can we do this better for the patient? If you keep asking that, your practice will grow. Just get out of your own way. It, it's, it's just amazing what will happen. Yeah, good. Oh, man, that's great. 
Well, you just, you literally just, I mean, what we've talked about here, I mean, to me, it's sort of like uh, success foundational blueprint stuff. Um, I've got one last question because we're getting close to the end of our, our time together. Um, I think this fits in with where, where we've kind of come around to and, and how important is, I mean, really this focuses on number one, which is not communicating effectively, but this, this goes to what is communicated. So how important is um, culture, purpose, mission, vision, those really squishy, hard to define things. Um, how important are they to going from, you know, 1.8 to, you know, uh, 3.6 million. I mean, doubling a practice from 500 grand to a million. I mean, how important is that stuff? It's paramount. I mean, I put it up there with the marketing of the business, which is the real business you're in, just putting a system in place that consumers find uh, valuable enough to exchange their time, energy, or money with. Uh, but certainly, if you think about culture, I mean, this is your bus and it's headed in a certain direction. And the problem with most dentists is they will stop and pick up new employees and put them on the bus who, for lack of better analogy, you're headed to Boston in your bus and you stop and pick up a new employee who doesn't fit with the culture. And as you're trying to drive to Boston, the minute you get sleepy and take your eyes off the road or the minute you let someone else drive for a few hours, you realize she's turned the goddamn bus around and you're heading to Seattle. That's in every dental practice. If there's not a cultural fit, if you can't articulate why you exist in the market, a really deep, compelling reason why you exist, why consumers should give their money and time and attention to you, and that doesn't attract a very particular type of employee who resonates deeply with that, you've got to go back and fix this. That's what makes great companies. You know it when you walk into a Four Seasons. You know it when you walk into an Apple store. And even on the lower end, you know it when you walk into a Costco or a Dollar General. There's a feel and there's a deep resonation with why the hell I'm here. Dollar General, I'm here because I need some WD-40 and I need some kitty litter and I'm out the door, right? I'm not here because I want to have a personal shopper show me through a new selection of fine Italian suits. Right. You get it deeply when you want. And so that attracts the type of people who work there. And that is what gets passed along with word of mouth. You, Cheesecake Factory does it brilliantly. You can tell me three things. Everyone can tell me three things about Cheesecake Factory. They have a huge menu. It's like a book. They have like 800 types of cheesecake, and they give you so much food, it's like enough to kill a horse, right? Everyone on the planet can share those three things about Cheesecake Factory. If you don't have three things that your patients and employees and every stakeholder, including vendors, the Patterson guy, the Shine guy, whoever comes and services your office, if there's not three things everyone can say about you, like my office, he's open all the damn time. They have a lifetime satisfaction guarantee. And no matter what, if you're not happy, they will make you happy. They'll give you your money back. They'll send you somewhere. I mean, it's like, there's no risk. If you don't have those three things, there's no culture. You're just a dentist, right? And no one gets excited about their dentist. No one wakes up and goes, honey, honey, come, please come to the TV. Look at what this dentist is doing. No one gives a shit, right? So you've got to have three things they can pass along. Culture is right up there with marketing of the business. It's, it's paramount. Yeah, good, 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 good. Awesome. Well, uh, Dustin, um, before we go and wrap this thing up, um, what are, give us one great book you've recently read that we ought to check out. Oh, Ray Dalio. Uh, the ah, of Bridgewater, one of the, yeah, one of the biggest, 
of the biggest uh, hedge funds in the world. Uh, super, super smart guy, book called Principles. Yeah. Everyone's got to be able to operate with the litmus test and principles. Ray is a genius at it. Go, uh, go get the book and devour it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll warn our readers the first um, half or first 30% is a tough grind, but get through it because the, the, the big stuff starts at about, you know, a third of the way to halfway through that book. And uh, yeah, you got to read it. Great book. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, Dustin, if somebody wants to, if one of our listeners wants to get in touch with you, how, how best to do that? Oh, just Google Dustin Burleson and you'll find stuff <laughs> everywhere. All, all um, sites out there with your information on it. Yeah, I got some people want to see the practice. Some people want to see the coaching stuff. Some people want to see the book. Some people want to see the Cleft Palate Foundation. So just Google me. You'll find me. Oh, man, that's right. So I, I'm, I'm so upset because that is an area I wanted to talk about is uh, your Cleft Palate Foundation. Um, we do have like, you know, maybe two, three minutes left. And if you've got two or three minutes left, this will put you 15 minutes behind consistently for the rest of the day. So, <laughs> so uh, can, you, can you share about Cleft Palate Foundation? Because I, I mean, this, yeah. is, this is cool. Well, yeah, I always think things in terms of principle, strategy, and tactics. So there's strategic things and tactical things we do with our nonprofit that I think are important to the business and important to becoming an outward-facing organization uh, and maintaining that. Because most businesses, you know, if you think about the guy who started a Subway sandwich shop, you know, type place, you know, he was slicing the meat, making the bread, interacting with the customers face-to-face, nose-to-nose, elbow-to-elbow. And then he got big, right? And he hired some employees to do all that. Then he got really big. And he, you know, put his office in the back and started crunching numbers on a computer. And then, you know, one day he wakes up and forgets the business he's in. So we intentionally, when we started to grow rapidly, we intentionally said, we need something we can attach employees and associates and referring dentists in our own culture to that attaches us to a higher sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. And for us, that's we, we provide over a million dollars a year in free orthodontic treatment to cleft lip and palate kids and kids through smiles change lives. And um, so find something, no matter what it is, find something you can do that helps your employees see a bigger vision, gives them the chance to give away a, a, a phenomenal gift. You know, even if it's just one patient a year that you take as a restorative dentist and you do a full smile makeover, maybe it's a waitress you meet who, you know, down on her luck in life for whatever reason, it's had a rough go of it, and she needs, you know, a, a, new, a new smile. You know, let your employees see and feel the power of giving, and then it's not so hard for them to ask. So our treatment coordinators are really comfortable asking for patients who have money to depart with some of it uh, to change their kid's life because so frequently we give the same amount or more to kids who are in a different situations. So, um, yeah, find something you can do that really, you know, without getting metaphysical and kind of woo woo or, you know, hyper religious on anyone, you know, just go read some practical stuff from people like Catherine Power or Edward Kramer, and, you know, Earl Nightingale. And certainly, uh, the whole you give through is the whole you receive through, you know, you're not taking it with you when you die, uh, those types of things. But um, yeah. even if you're, even if you're Scrooge, you know, you'll still practically see, huge transformation in your business when you let your employees uh, give. And uh, so that's one big thing we do. The other thing is we'll pay any employee an extra 40 hours of paid vacation time if they'll take uh, an approved uh, community service trip or a mission. So if they go build a house uh, for House of, you know, Habitat for Humanity 
or they go down to you know Costa Rica and do a dental mission, uh, we'll pay them an additional 40 hours of paid vacation time to do that. So um, those are some things we've done that have, have really helped maintain an outward focus uh, of the business. Yeah, I love it. That's all. That is great stuff. And I think the attachment of an organization uh, like yours to your business <clears throat> is is a no brainer. Um, it's great. It's good stuff. So Dustin, man, I appreciate it really a lot. Your time, um, your, the, the information you shared is hugely invaluable to our listeners and, um, so much here to, to really take the heart and think about and start making some movement on, not just, you know, ruminating on it for the next three weeks, but actually, uh, sitting down with a pad and paper and starting the discussion and talking to your team about it. Really great stuff. So Dustin, thank you, sir. And thank you to our listeners. And, um, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Thank you, everybody else. Appreciate your time. Hey, Jerry Jones here. Thank you for joining me on this edition of the Jerry Jones Radio Show. You've reached the end of this segment. You can always listen in to the next show by visiting jerryjonesdirect.com forward slash podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or find the show at blogtalkradio.com forward slash jerryjones. For more information about Jerry Jones Direct, go to jerryjonesdirect.com or give us a call, 503-339-6000. Our member ambassadors are standing by to assist you. And once again, thank you for listening to The Jerry Jones Radio Show.